0: Hi again, welcome to The Apologist Bookshelf. I'm Gary Zacharias. I'd like to take a second look at a book by Oz Guinness called Unspeakable, subtitled Facing Up to Evil in an Age of Genocide and Terror. And of course, whenever people are polled about the number one issue that they would like to ask God, it's always why, if there's a good God, is there so much pain and evil and suffering? So this is a book that deals with that. I want to look this time at chapter 9 which uh, has an unfortunate title, and I don't mean his choice was unfortunate, but what it says about us. It's called Freedom's Tilt Toward Evil. Isn't that sad? He starts with a story of Davy Crockett, who was a congressman with a conscience, and back in 1830, he actually stood against the removal of the Cherokee Indians from their land he starts that story on Davy Crockett because he's trying to make a point about what's happened to evil. He says it's been transformed in our society, in our modern society. It's marginalized uh, the ways we, we, we used to respond to evil. It dismisses categories that we used to have, and it gets rid of traditional ways that we used to respond to evil. So that's what this chapter is going to be about, and it's, it's powerful stuff, I know. He said, uh, for example, we used to talk about evil in certain ways, but new words have come in to replace the traditional words. And as an English teacher, I love to think about vocabulary and and, uh, what happens when people, uh, it's called connotation, when you think about words with their emotional impact. And for some people, and in some cases, they want to soften things, uh, so they come up with a softer term. Sometimes they want to make something seem harsher, so they change the language a little bit. And the same thing is happening when we talk about evil, he said, sin no longer is called sin, it's crime, and then that turned into sickness, and then that turned into dysfunction. By the way, if you notice, and I don't think this is an accident, small, simple, powerful, one-syllable words like sin or crime then become sickness, that's two syllables, dysfunction, three syllables, So you always replace the simple with the complex to make everybody confused. Basically, it provides a smokescreen. So anyway, he says, uh, nobody calls anything evil anymore. So he says, evil doesn't disappear. He says, it's all the freer to surprise us and do its deadly work. I just think that's something so powerful to think about. If you don't call something evil, if you try to get rid of that from your vocabulary, does that get rid of the problem itself? Absolutely not. And he says, what happens with this erosion that's going on is something that he refers to Solzhenitsyn. He called it the tilt of freedom toward evil. And if there's somebody that knows a tilt toward evil, it's Solzhenitsyn. But you know what? This chapter, he says, is not going to be looking at what the Germans did or the Russians or the Chinese or the Rwandans or any other nation that has these vast atrocities that we think about. He said, the worst example is the vast carelessness. Of the United States, the people that are supposed to be the land of the brave and the free, they, they fight all these environmental problems and erosions, but we've got a terrible cultural erosion and nobody's doing anything about it. Well, actually, people are fighting against um, our culture in the past. So uh, here's his section. He says, let's take a look at the United States. He says there are three grand erosions that's going on in America and we've let it happen. Uh, These erosions are the barriers that we used to put up against evil, and they're disappearing, and evil is flowing across these barriers. So here's the first one of the three. The idea of under God, quote-unquote, has been neutered in American life. He says it's just now kind of a cliche, that's all. But he says, you know, it wasn't always that way. He said that was a really big concept. Um, It spoke that there was a sovereign... Providence that was above us and above our affairs, and that we had a moral responsibility and a moral accountability to that, whether you could see it or not. I think that's uh, powerful. He said, We worshiped in this country the God of Sinai. And he says, That's the God before whom all hearts are open and there's no secret. And so, any other authority, any other loyalty we have, any other allegiance that we have, is far down the the list there. It's uh, second place, distant second place to the one before whom nobody else is of account, right? The number one is the God of Sinai. He's he's the number one being. So he gives examples of why that idea of being under God meant such a, a, a big thing to our ancestors and, and caused some good things to happen. So he says it was this understanding of under God, this this God of Sinai who oversaw everything. He said that led John Cotton to talk about, uh, when he was talking about church and state, he said it's necessary that all power that is on earth be limited. So he didn't want anybody to, to take it over and to think that he or she could have unlimited power. You had to watch these people. Uh, of course, that's the basis of our government with the uh, split of the three houses to kind of or the three branches of government to kind of keep an eye on each other. He said it was this understanding that inspired Davy Crockett to vote his conscience. He says it was that understanding that moved a congressman in New York named Henry Storrs, and he stood with Crockett to oppose the Cherokee removal. And you know what he said as he talked about what was going on there? He said, you will stand condemned condemned by the law of God you will stand condemned by the law of God. So in other words, there's a a measurement that you're not uh, equaling up to when you do this. He said that led Benjamin Franklin to propose as a national seal of the U.S., rebellion to tyrants is obedience to God. And Thomas Jefferson talked about, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just, that his justice cannot sleep forever. Isn't that something that, uh, kind of ironic for him to make that statement, but to have slaves himself, and actually, Os says, we might add, that that great deist didn't tremble enough to do something about it. Yeah, exactly right. He says, so what's going on now? People are pressing an extremist separation of church and state that he says the founding fathers wouldn't have recognized at all. So they're, they're, they're pulling apart church and state and asking people who are part of the church, any church, to just stay quiet about it or just make it personal in their home. They said... What's happening is that we're removing the one reference that's higher than human power and higher even than the state, that it's a transcendent authority that we're tossing aside. He said, that's capable of restraining the Constitutional Republic, but we've tossed it away. And He said, the ultimate appeal against human power and its abuse is taken away because God is banished. All right, here's the second grand erosion So the first one was uh, what's happened to God, right? So we've gotten rid of the idea of being under God. Here's the second grand erosion. That's the dismissal these days of the framers' solution for the problem of freedom. What are we talking about here? Freedom is transient, he says. It, It doesn't last. The challenge somehow is to sustain freedom, which is really extremely difficult. Now, he says, uh, for writers way back in the Roman and the Greek days, they they saw three kinds of menaces to keeping freedom going. One was external menaces, right? The other powers would come and, and they would take away your freedom. But he said uh, they said also that you have two internal problems. One is the corruption of customs and the passing of time. Well, the American idea was to counteract all of these. Now, he says, the ingenious American system of checks and balances is great. He said, but... There's a bigger part of what they did to solve this problem of the loss of freedom. It was uh, He calls it the eternal triangle of freedom. And here it is. Freedom requires virtue. Virtue requires faith of some sort. And faith requires freedom. So there are the three things. Freedom, virtue, and faith. He said only that way could a free republic stay free. So I want to go back. I want to hit that one more time because I think that's just... So essential to what he's talking about. So how you can maintain your freedom? You need virtue. Well, how do you get virtue? Faith. How do you get faith? You got to have the freedom to have the faith. So you see how all those three work together. Benjamin Franklin said, only a virtuous people are capable of freedom. John Adams said, we have no government armed with powers capable of contending with human passions unbridled by morality and religion. And then he later said, our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It's wholly inadequate to the government of any other. Isn't that powerful? Let me say that one again. John Adams, our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It's wholly inadequate to the government of any other. So the problem is, he said, these days people have faith. Okay, there are a lot of Christians, but they're being told over and over again to keep it private and keep it irrelevant to the public. So he says the educated elites have a different vision of public life and uh, faith and character and virtue are supposed to be private. And then it's separate from the secular world. But he said, you know, if you rely on law, but you don't have faith and virtue among the public, what do you get? You're gonna get more of a police state. You're gonna get more laws. You're gonna get greater regulations because if people can't control themselves, Guess who's going to do it? The government. And how are they going to do that? Laws, uh, more police, more uh, surveillance and things like that. He says we're seeing freedom undermined because of that. So he says if America is going to work, we need virtues necessary for freedom and make sure they're passed along. That's the challenge. If we celebrate freedom in this country, but we take away from all virtue there until there's no good left, says, we lose freedom, yeah, but we ensure that what's left is evil. Now, here's the third grand erosion. So, the first one was God. We've left the idea of being under God in in the dust. And the second was, how do you keep freedom? It's virtue and religion. Now, he said the third erosion is startling. It comes from the human nature, the idea that we want to transgress, we want to destroy religions. We love to flout standards. We like to defy conventions. He said, that's what you hear in popular culture these days. And he said, it's turning evil into an aggressive force. It's a refusal in our world these days. We don't want limits. And so we wanna break taboos. We wanna open up the seals, he says, of forbidden knowledge and celebrate a culture of transgression. Do you hear that? Celebrate a culture of transgression. Don't we hear that over and over? Don't we see that again and again? We celebrate in this society somebody who pushes the boundaries and does things totally outrageous. He said, so we've got this unrestrained artistic license. We've got the greed for commercial profit, a rage for what he calls free speech and be damned, a hunger for celebrities, a wild desire to abolish the line between fantasy and reality, a crazy belief that if you just live close to death those are the most alive people and he says we have a lack of history and what's the result he says we're lounging in a fool's paradise of deeds without consequences yeah there's no such thing is there deeds without consequences yeah we're reaping the consequences these days Um, our suicide rate among the young especially is going up people are losing uh, belief in our country and it's all about making myself enjoy life it's pleasure so he says, uh, it's an unholy package, the excesses of the great ones and the fascination of them by the public. And that's where we're getting it. So he says, radical idea by radical idea, violent film by violent film, explicit song by explicit song, brutal video game by brutal video game, and on and on and on. He says that momentum grows and the binding forces are concentrating. He said, what once was unimaginable is thinkable and then is fashionable. What, what used to be abnormal is now normal. Where we were shocked, we're now indifferent. Where what started as soft core ends as hardcore. I mean, he's got that exactly right. All you have to do is look at the newspaper and uh, online and see that. Each transgression, he says, builds on the previous one and then it binds us to the next one. Yeah, I think that's so sad. Nietzsche said, <clears throat> right now there's the seduction that everything extreme exercises. We immortalists, we're the most extreme. So you got to be extreme. Then he said, and in a lot of our culture today, it's celebrated. Rebellion, just to do whatever is forbidden. And it says, we're excusing in them what we wouldn't tolerate in our children for a second. In other words, evil is cool. It's really cool these days. He says, people who are nonchalant about what we've allowed to slip, he said, should ponder how our popular culture is viewed as sewage by much of the world. Isn't that interesting? Uh, I think he's exactly right. We think of ourselves as that shining city on the hill, but people around the world are horrified at some of the things that Americans are doing these days. Um, The poet Heinrich Heine, he uh, quotes from him, he had a warning that he wrote about a century before the Nazi death camps. He said, the great merit of the Christian faith was that it softened the brutal German lust for battle. But, he said, if that talisman breaks the cross, in other words, Christianity, then will come roaring back the wild madness of the ancient warriors. That talisman, again, thinking of Christianity, is now already crumbling, and the day is not far off when it shall break apart entirely. Wow. And he said, at that point, the old stone gods will rise from their sleep and crush the remains of Western civilization. Now, this was 100 years or so before Nazism. And you read this and you say, he got it right, unfortunately. He says, we got this idea that our moral and social progress will be as effortless as our scientific technology. And we're not going to need the boundaries of restraints and of faith and religion and things like that. He says, that's a pernicious folly. A pernicious folly he said any tilt toward evil is an act of hostility towards civilization and a vote for barbarism oh that is, it just breaks my heart to read that because i'm old enough i grew up in a country that didn't have some of these issues and some of this violence and some of this sneering at authority and some of this rebelliousness and it's just sad to see the way it's going um I don't suggest, by the way, that we as Christians should head for the hills and just talk to each other. I think we've got to be there to pick up the pieces because our society is crumbling and it's going to wreck so many lives. And we need to be there and we need to be the salt, we need to be the light, we need to be the hope for this society that's going to try to go without boundaries and to watch what happens. Individuals will crash and burn and maybe the society itself will. But we need to be faithful, we need to be there We need to pick up the pieces to bandage up the wounds. Well, uh, not a very cheerful thing to talk about today, but it's really important, I think. Actually, anything that Oz Guinness writes is uh, well worth reading. All right, well, thanks, and uh, we'll do another podcast soon. Bye-bye.